Today's guest is Keith Blanchard. He is the founder and host for the Center of Light Radio and the author of several books, including the best-selling The Divine Principle, Anchoring Heaven on Earth, and For the Love of God, A Spiritual Journey. Keith, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you giving me a little bit of your time. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to a good conversation with you, sir. Me too, sir. All right. So what is your first recollection of being involved with ETs? I was about eight or nine years old. I do not have, I did not have conscious recollection of this till I was about the age of 33. Eight years old, living in South Louisiana. I have no interest of being in the backyard with all kinds of dogs and boogeymen that kids at that age would believe in. I was raised Catholic, demons, devils. <laughs> and so the last thing this eight or nine-year-old boy wants to do is be in the backyard uh, at two or three o'clock in the morning. Um, but I would repeatedly find there was no really no, uh, it was random. It wasn't, it wasn't like this particular pattern. Mm-hmm. Then I would find myself pitch in this pitch back, black backyard. And I'm standing there uh, asking myself, you know, <laughs> what am I doing outside? And there was no time for fear. I was always comfortable. It's something felt natural about it. But the first time it happened, um, I'm, you know, I'm just shrugging, shrugging this off and looking for a way to get back into my bedroom. So I had to prop up a cinder block to be, cause I'm tall. I'm, I mean, I'm a short guy now. I had all of my life. I've been short, but when I was uh, at that age, <laughs> I was just a runt. So I had to create some sort of stepping um, device to get back into my bedroom by lunging myself through the window. And this would happen repeatedly. Every, like I said, everything felt natural. There was never any fear. I was just often wondering, what am I doing in the backyard? But at the age of 33, uh, I'm living in uh, my apartment and I'm watching a program on the Discovery Channel and I'm watching a show called, about aliens, whatever. And I had a full conscious recall. Everything just came flooding back to into my into my consciousness now at first i i was at that time uh even though it felt natural when this was happening in the backyard at the age of 33 when this all started to unfold or make itself known i got a little frightened because you know it all came in a flash you know like watching a movie god knows ridiculous speeds so i called a friend of mine and they comforted me for a while um i do believe that this period of my life was the beginning of a long journey uh, all the way to present day, which is that time of my life, I I am convinced that was making contact with these beings were manipulating my energetic system so that later in life, which happened at the age of 33, coincidentally, when this all came back to me, the door to celestial beings was opened. So I believe that this contact um, back in those days was to ready me for the entrance of divine avatars. Uh, like, again, I, I was never afraid. And being prepared and this experience now, um, looking back, I can see this gradation of fluidness that I can even see why I became a musician, an entertainer, an artist, or someone in the creative in the creative vein. But everything always felt normal to me. And I, throughout the course of my life, I was never, ever, ever abducted. I don't like that word. Uh, I was never taken beyond my will. I was never tested on. And if they did, it was in levels of uh, 
experience where I didn't have any sort of conscious recollection. Uh, I've never felt afraid in any of my experiences being with extraterrestrials or being with celestial beings. Never, simply never. In fact, I, I, I tend to avoid uh, interviews on radio or podcasts uh, that want to talk about the dark stuff. You know, did they lay you on the table? Did they stick something up your backside? Tell me about the craft. I'm not into that. You know, I want to, people are always fascinated with the craft. I'm curious to know who's driving it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let me backtrack here. Cause I want to make sure that I've got it down. Sure. You had the recollection when you were 32, 33, but all the stuff was going on when you were eight, maybe you were taken out of your house or something, but for some reason you would just find yourself outside of your house and thinking, how did I get here? And then you had to get back into your house. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. And I don't know if I was taken out of my house. I don't know if my muscles decided to move and walk me outside. I don't, I don't know any of that. I don't know if I was sleepwalking at the time that brought me outside as I was having these experiences. But at the age of 33, when this became conscious to, to me, um, I began to see the experiences for the the experiences were more of a memory than me actually being placed back at the age of eight or nine years old. And as if they were occurring in real time, then Um, it was just present always, but this only lasted for about about a year and a half, two years. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, when did you, and then I stopped end up being in the back. When did you start encountering celestial beings? 33 years old. Oh, at 33. Um, then I began to experience these divine beings. The first one that came into my experience was a holy man who lived in India, who's now deceased, by the name of Bhagavan Sri Satya Sai Baba. Um, when I heard about the incarnation of this person being alive on the planet, um, I was doing a presentation as a new spiritual teacher, trying to get my way about. Um, a friend of mine by the name of Paul Ede came up to me after the uh, the presentation. And he said, we were talking about uh, this wall. And on this wall was a lot of pictures from every divine being, Jesus, Buddha, Krishna, Mother Teresa, so forth and so on. We were just having conversation about some of these, these deities. And so I said, well, who is this guy? And he just so happens to pull up a, a little vessel full of this holy ash called Vubuti ash. And he says, Keith, this, this man right here has the ability to spontaneously create at will. That was it. Being a a new spiritual guy, I wanted to know all about this man. So I began to read every book I can find. He does not write books. He's way above writing books. Uh, The the books that I would read are people of a scientific nature, scientifically minded, um, that they're going over to India to disprove um, the power and the magic and the hype um, that is coming about from India about the presence of this avatar. Mm. And so when they're, when they come back from India, these are these people (laughs) writing these books saying, I don't know what that was at all. And so I began to read these books and he started showing to uh, showing up for me in dreamland. Um, One night after about a year um, sleeping unconscious black in the black part of being asleep, uh, he tapping me on my spiritual leg, if you will. And I come to a state of full-blown consciousness. And when I do, he's standing across a river and he's speaking to me telepathically. And because I'm so now in love with this avatar and everything he's about in his message, when I see him in this dream experience, I decide to genuflect and get on my knee. And he says, Keith, stand up. I got something for you. I said, sure. He says, I want you to come to India and see me. And of course, like a little puppy dog's tail, I'm wagging. I would love that. I would love nothing other than that. And, he, and I began to talk to him 
um, telepathically. And I say, how will I do that? I've never done such a thing. Where will I get the money? You know, this and that. He goes, put all that nonsense down. I got it covered. I wake up in the morning experiencing this joy because from all these people writing these books, one of the common themes from those who have actually met this divine man, Mm -hmm. he says, if I come to you in a dream, you are not dreaming. I am truly present. So I'm excited when I wake up in the morning. Is it it all real possible that everything I read led me to this moment in in the very near future? He said, I got it covered that I'm going to go to India. Well, two weeks later, I get a phone call from a lady I never met by the name of Debbie Jabour. She says, hi, Keith. And I say, how can I help you? She says, Keith, we have a mutual friend. And word got to me that you want to go to India to see a holy man. I said, yes, ma'am, this is true. She goes, Keith, I'm a flight attendant. I got some companion passes for the year that are about to expire. And I would not like that to happen, knowing you want to go to India to see a holy man. Can I give you a first class round trip ticket? Wow. So three months later, I took off to India to experience the power. Jeff, I'm talking about serious divinity. Weather changing in front of your face, manipulating objects at will, healing people on the spot, watching, experiencing more miracles in the two weeks that I was on his ashram than probably thousands of people collectively would ever in a lifetime. Hmm. What was was the first? What was it like when you actually came face to face with him? (laughs) So I get to the ashram about two o'clock. He comes out twice a day when he was alive. He would come out at 7.15 in the morning and 2.15 in the afternoon. So I get to the ashram um, right about two o'clock. And the guy at the orientation office says, Salam, you ever seen Saitli Yashai Baba? I said, no. He says, go, run this way. You'll know, just run. He says, leave your bags here. And I took off running. Now, keep in mind, there are 35 plus thousand people on this ashram every day. This is a normal day. 250,000 on a festival day on this ashram. And so because I'm last, because everybody's already there to see the master. So I'm sitting right in the back of the ashram or Kumat Hall, as it's called. And the bell starts ringing, a gold bell. 21 times and everybody goes into this ohm chant 21 times and out of the gate on the west this little five foot one man walks out and i'm literally i had a dream literally realize itself i was pinching myself going that's sati sai baba and this is really happening so we always hear about dreams being realized well i had a dream all those years ago and Three months later, it was realized. And so the feeling I had inside was, I deserve this. I'm ready, I think. (laughs) I don't know what to do with this. Should I even try to do something with it? Or should I let it do something to me? And I decided the latter. I'm going to let it do something to me. And it did something to me. It changed me. For the longest time, I was in praise, worship, as a student, a disciple of Satya Sai Baba. My trip to India, when I got back, it all changed. Hmm. though I still revere his teachings and still love his energy and all of that, that doesn't have place for me anymore. I carried it as far as it can go. Now it's a beautiful ornament that sits on my shelf complete. So did you ever have any FaceTime with him face-to-face where you would actually sit and talk with him? I did not get to sit and talk with him on the ashram, but he has done so many miracles in front of me and of quite a few of them, to me. Uh, One of them that is very, it's very long, but I'll I'll squash it. Early that morning, I saw, um, no, excuse me. Early that morning, before the morning darshan, 
I walked outside the ashram, which you're not supposed to do because there's so much negative, dirty energy in the streets from beggars. But I, I felt pretty clean. I'm good. I'm going to go outside. And I bought a Japamala, a prayer bee. And so that morning, <laughs> I go to Kuwan Hall, and he's passing down this, these rows, if you will, thousands of people everywhere. And so he's blessing this person and this person. I'm going, oh, my God, he's about to come. And, and I usually often got first row, which literally means four feet away from him, from God, if you will. Mm-hmm. So he's now coming towards me, like really right in front of me. And he blesses this guy's whatever, and this person's whatever, and this person's whatever. And I held up this Japamano that I just bought, and he skips right over me. He looks at me, and he continues on his way. And I'm like, did you really just diss me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what I'm thinking. And so later that day, um, around noon, I never took a nap on the ashram. I always take a nap at home. I never took a nap on the ashram. That day, I got really, really sleepy, and it felt like a nighttime cold medicine. Something was forcing me to go to sleep. So I went to sleep, and he came to me in this experience, and it showed me a very large trunk. It looked like an Ark of the Covenant kind of trunk. There were sacred carvings and writings all over this trunk. Mm-hmm. And he told me something very, very prophetic about the rebirth of the personality that we know as Jesus. And so, so when, and this has been with me all of my life. And so I got up from this nap and I was mad. I was cussing like a sailor at God. This was validated many years ago. Now you bring this to me again. And I, this seems like a game that I just no longer want to play. So after I felt good about my venting, I went back into the street to, just to look for something, just whatever, kill my time, because you have a lot of time to yourself. Uh, I went to another shop, and I walk up to this counter, and he says, Saddam, can I help you? I said, yes, sir. I want something. He goes, what do you want? I said, I trust that you have it. He says, how about buy this Japamala, a second one, for your prayers to Sai Baba? I said, that's exactly what I need. Mm-hmm. So I begin to go into this meditation. I need to know that what I've experienced in this dream with you is valid. I, I, Jeff, I knew I had to be very, very clear about what I asked for. Mm-hmm. Because when you're in the presence of the light, the light will always show you yourself. So I said, I need to know if what I just experienced with you and the way that I understand it about the return of the one we knew as Jesus, I want to know if it's, if it's valid. Is it valid? So I begin to say this prayer in the beating hot sun for hours, sitting on a concrete slab. So I get into Coolwant Hall. And I'm first row, <laughs> coincidentally, I'm first row. And I'm saying, is it valid? Is it valid? Is it valid? And I was in India in 2000. Is it valid? Is it valid? And when I felt complete with the prayer, I opened my eyes and there's a Seva doll, which means an attendant. He's sitting mirror reflection to me, knee to knee, and he's right here in my face. And so I'm taken back and something says, look down at his ID badge. And so I look down and it happens to be uh, turned backwards, but I didn't know at that time. It said, valid 2000. And mm-hmm. I said, Saddam, your badge is turned. I said, what does that mean? He said, I guess it's mean it. I guess it means it's valid. So he turns it around. And when he turns it around, all this significant stuff about my spiritual work, these letters up here, you see Yanava. Um, he lived on Yana Street. Um, it, there was just so many things that took place. So when Sai Baba came to my section, in that experience for that day after I had that experience with that attendant, that Seba doll. Um, Sai Baba was across the way, facing the other way. And I said, this is, this is it. He's not going to look at me, so I got to talk to him. So I said, 
I need to know if what I experienced with you in this dream scenario is valid. He stopped what he was doing, walked right up to me as I held up this bead and he blessed it. And I had an explosion of consciousness happen through my, my entire being when I saw the birth of the universe. And when I say I saw, it wasn't necessarily seen with the eyes. It was more with the third eye. And I knew why he ignored me earlier that day, because this was all a setup for the sequence of events to unfold. But I've seen so many of these things while I was there, and it was just a joy. Mm, that's fascinating. He used to, uh, I believe, attract really big crowds, and he would travel, is that correct? And do like all kinds of healings and stuff? He did always attract crowds. Um, he, in fact, when he was younger, he prophesied. He said, you're lucky right now that you can get a glimpse of me at close range. In the very near future, you will have to stand miles away to get to me. And that, that actually took place. Um, he did do some traveling, uh, but he pretty much never left one of two ashrams. He had one in um, Brindarvan or Whitefield and another one in Prashantinilium. Prashantinilium means the abode of highest peace. But the most important miracle out of all the bells and whistles and all the flash of what he truly can do was that he unified Muslims, Islam, Jainism, Jewish, Christians, Buddhist, walks of life from every walk of life, people from all over the world, China, Russia, just everywhere. And everyone, they don't just get along. They're not just getting along out of courtesy. Mm -hmm. These people are thriving and loving each other. And it was so amazing to experience mm -hmm. that this level of divinity, this lighthouse brought all of this together. Mm -hmm. And it's something that will, you can never leave. It, it will always be with you forever. It sounded like you were referring to him as God. I'm not sure if you are or not. And two, I'd like you to comment on both of these. I found it interesting that you made the comment, the personality of Jesus. Can you comment on both of those? Sure, sure. Well, if we all look at scripture and look at it honestly and take it further into the depth of what it really, really means. When we talk about the Christ, the Christ is not Jesus. The Christ is a consciousness. Jesus, over the course of his life, became Christfully illumined. He became conscious of the truth. What is that truth? It's that which holds and sustains everything for infinity. It's life itself. It's everything. So to confine Christ to a body, the universe would shut down. It couldn't happen. So Christ is not a man. Christ is a consciousness that Jesus, Buddha, Krishna, and all these other beings have aspired to over the course of their life. You I, we're all yogis. We're all walking the walk. Many of us aren't, but many of us are interested, wanting to move towards a higher level of experience, a higher level playing field. When it comes to Satya Sai Baba, there have been other avatars. One is Babaji, but Satya Sai Baba is a being that was the Godhead personified. He did not go through the, the process of birth to become illumined over the course of his life. It was truly a light from the Godhead shining itself down and exploding in this conf conflagration of divinity. Um, there are other avatars. I have now in my immediate proximity, when I'm blessed t once, twice a year, of this being by the name of Swamji Viswayogi, which happens to be the ninth, his ninth incarnation on the earth. He was the illumined soul to first walk on planet Earth thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands, whatever, years ago. Being around these beings, the whole 
your whole reality turns within itself because you know they know what you're thinking. They know you know that they know everything you've ever done. So it automatically puts a, puts me in this space of humility. What did I mean by the personality personality of Jesus? Exactly that. So the Christ is a consciousness. Jesus was a man who, over the course of his life, became illumined. So the Christ is here now. It's you. It's me. It's you know. It's simply omnipresent. It's everywhere, and it takes our faculties to become engaged as we choose to engage ourselves to want to recognize the omnipresent God. Jesus, the man who achieved that level of consciousness, is back on the earth today. I've had Sathya Sai Baba validate this to me. Uh, this has been with me throughout my Catholic experience for years as a spiritual teacher. I've had conscious experiences with Yeshua, Jesus myself, as well as being uh, physically in the presence of Swamiji Vishwa Yogi, who said, yes, this is not a dream. This happens. This is, this is real. So um, that would be 20 years ago when I was first told the, the reappearance of the moment as Jesus. Do you think Jesus will be returning anytime soon? Or really, maybe not returning, because you said he's already here, but making himself public enough where people will take that as, okay, it's the second coming of Christ, and he's here now. That's a fantastic question. I, I can't answer that for sure, because maybe his presence on the earth is simply just to be an anchor of light and doesn't need all the, the hoo-ha and all the, the publicity. <laughs> maybe he's just here just to hold heaven on earth down and hold it down very tightly. I do believe he's going to make an appearance, but if he makes an appearance too soon, people won't like it. And his entrance will serve no purpose whatsoever because they will be afraid. And it's not he that they are afraid of. It's afraid of their doctrination and their dogma that's going to be shattered as they stand before the presence of the master. Because what is he supposed to look like? Yeah. Is he going to look like a white man uh, that looked with this long hair and this mustache? What if he looks completely different? Yeah. How are people going to process such information? Yeah. They're simply going to be afraid. And so his entrance in this regard would serve no purpose whatsoever, except to generate fear, which is not the purpose of his return whatsoever. Right. And plus, I mean, most likely he'd have to produce some amazing miracles or most people are going to say, oh, that isn't him. I would agree with that. Absolutely. So when you were referring to celestial beings that you met, were you referring to Sai Baba and this other yogi, and, or were you referring to anybody, you know, beings of light or any other beings that are non-corporeal? Yeah, uh, definitely all the divine beings that I described here a minute ago. Mm -hmm. But some of these higher evolved conscious beings happen to be what we would call extraterrestrials. Right. Um, over the course of my life, I met a being by the name of Enoch from from the Bible. Um, I was in a craft. I've been doing this work for many years, mm -hmm. especially from the eight and nine year old days. And I find myself present, aware aboard this mothership. There was a spiritual guide standing next to me. I did not look at the being, but I could see him as if I'm looking at my hand perfectly. And he says, Keith, basically you've been a good boy all this all these years. Um, today's graduation for you, at least one. And part of your, Award is to meet the people in charge. And out of the door on the right steps this being about five foot seven. Mm -hmm. Headdress. I don't know if it's a headdress or hair. But everything was earth tones. Long gowns. Powerful. Wow, I can just feel this energy come off this being. And after the introduction with this being, he says, now, Keith, I want you to meet the commander. And out of the door 
came this being, and they looked exactly alike, exactly alike. And it was introduced to me as Enoch. Now, this these two beings look completely different than the rest of their group. And I even asked the question, why do these two look different? He says, because they have the power and it also represents a status that they are able to shift themselves as they choose. And this way that they are choosing right here, right now for you is the way that makes most sense for you, Keith. I said, sure. And so um, Enoch was there, but he was powerful. Even though I thought this first being was powerful, Enoch was just so illumined. But over, say, 1997 and a half, 1998, I'm doing that same metaphysical church where I gave that presentation. We used to go to a, a Sunday church service. And so I'm standing in queue sort of towards the back. And I see a friend of mine by the name of Laura. And she's waving in the front saying, hey, Keith, one of those distance waving kind of thing. I said, sure. She said, come here. And I said, no, I got something to do. So I said, you come here. So she comes on over and she's bouncing around because Laura's a goofy girl. And after we did the meet and greet and kiss on the cheek kind of thing, she says, Keith, do you want to meet an alien being? You have to know Laura, so I'm mm-hmm. taking like whatever. And that something said, <laughs> say yes, Keith. And I said, sure. She said, follow me. She gave me the follow me finger. So we go to the front of the line where she was in queue. And she walks me up to the backside of a five foot one woman. And when we get there, she says, Keith, I want you to meet Nucleus 8. Nucleus 8, I want you to meet Keith Blanchard. Okay. <laughs> when this woman turns around, Five foot one woman. What was inside of her was not five foot one at all. It was seven foot tall. And it, the voice, when you you look at a five foot one woman, you would think the voice would be something like this, right? Right. There's no way this can be, this, this was not faked. I mean, you, you can feel the power. You can feel the male testosterone come off of this lady. But, so this is not, people automatically want to say this is channeling. Yeah, you can call it that. This is something different than, channeling some extraterrestrial of the galactic federation on planet earth this being truly superimposed over her now when he comes in she's completely gone and this can be for days she will be gone for days so when i walk up to this woman and we were introduced the first thing nucleus eight says to me is what do you want from me mm-hmm. what a strange way to greet somebody Mm-hmm. And so in my trying to find a, a response, he goes, you want some help with that? I said, sure. He says, you want data. Data. What a strange, what an alien word, data. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, he, then I, and he took me back again and he started laughing a little bit. And he was using this as a way to break the ice. I friended Margie, or star one, and her husband then, Dr. Rex Hare, who happened to be who happens to be now a 40 unical, 40 year clinical retired psychologist. His books are on the internet. You can, in fact, there's a free one you can download. Anyone who's interested, look up Heroic Nucleus 8. There is a free download where he tells the story of his 15 year encounter with Heroic Nucleus 8. I'm going to show everyone, if I could, a picture of what Nucleus 8 actually looks like. Mm-hmm. Give me one second. While you're looking at this, that. is Nucleus A. Okay. Please continue, Jeff. I'm sorry. It's okay. You mentioned another person's name, Margie, or something like that. Margie and yeah. Star One are the same person. She just goes by Margie, Margie uh, or Star is- One. I think the Celestials go by call her Star One okay. on Earth. She goes by Margie. And who was that? 
Who is what? Star One? I'm confused. Star One is Margie. On Earth, she her name is Margie or Miriam. Okay. But the higher ups, they call her Star One. It's sort of a galactic name. Huh. So when Star One or Margie and Dr. Rex Hare met, she went to him because she was seeking therapy hmm. from a very abusive childhood. Right. Um, Dr. Rex Hare puts her on the table <laughs> under a light hypnosis so he can dig in a little bit and find out what's happening with her. And the first thing that happened was a fairy step to the fore and said, if you think you're going to come in here and monkey with her mind, like the people of her past, I am going to stop you myself. Her name was Perithnia. So over a period, fairies would come in, um, shamans would come in, angelic beings would come in, and then finally Nucleus 8 came in. And when Nucleus 8 came in, um, he was there for a while, then he decided to uh, bring in some of his colleagues into his room during a session. And after about 30 minutes of this, Rex Hare, you're on your own with this one. <laughs> Exit the room. Wow. So let me tell you who Nucleus 8 is. Nucleus 8 is an extraterrestrial alien human hybrid. He's four, at that time, 1998, he was 4,720 years old in one lifespan. Their technology is such that it before you die, something's wrong with you, provided you don't get your head cut off. They can actually rejuvenate you to live half of that lifespan. And then if this happens again, they can rejuvenate you for half that time. After the third time, you're spent, you're done, your consciousness goes somewhere else. He has six digits on each hand and foot. He lives on a uh, mothership station, which is, I think it's 27,000 light years away from me in another dimension. Um, I've had so many experiences with him that people simply just don't believe that they took place. Mm-hmm. And he is head of this quadrant of the Milky Way galaxy. Mm-hmm. He is head of security in this quadrant of the Milky Way galaxy. He and his team literally roam the galaxy policing it like police officers do. They keep out the riffraff as best they can. But he is always working on, on this station. They help stars to be born. There's just so much that they do. Um but I have so many stories that have taken place. Him pulling me out of my body when I'm consciously aware, bringing me into his ship. And when I get into the ship, I'm thinking to myself, where are the chairs? And all the chairs start coming out. When I'm done with the thought, all the chairs go back into the wall. Mm-hmm. So um, he is still doing what he does. He, he goes by his real name. His birth name is Marshall Habin, H-A-B-I-N-E. Um, and he does come back to Earth. Uh, I have not seen Nucleus 8 in, since he left after the four years uh, that I hung out with him in 1988. And when I we were talking about Center of Light Radio being an Inception Radio Network some years ago. And after 14 years, when I launched my maiden voyage of Center of Light Radio, my first guest happened to be Dr. Rex Hare. Rex Hare, uh, the last name is spelled H-A-I-R-E for those who are going to do the research mm-hmm. to find that free book. Um, he was my first guest. The next morning, I look at my inbox of all places, Facebook, and I this person says, hey, Keith, how about letting an old man into your room? I said, how do you know Dr. Rex Hare? And he said, Keith, this is nucleus eight. You better be jumping up and down. And so we begin an ongoing dialogue, which I will send you, Jeff, if you would like to read this 30-page 
dialogue between Nucleus 8 and I bantering back and forth wow. uh, about the times that he showed up in my life, taking me aboard his craft and sticking an implant in my kidney region, my right kidney region, which happened again 14 years later when he put a retweaked the implant uh, and put it in my elbow. Is Nucleus 8 still here? He comes to visit Margie, star one, and Dr. Rex here. They call him counselor. Um, they used to be married. And they lived in Martin, Tennessee, which is mm, a couple hours away from where I am in Memphis. Um, they lovingly divorced. Uh, their time is done. Uh, lovingly divorced and support each other. She moved from home places to Egypt. Um, but when he does come back to Earth, he does uh, pop in on Facebook inbox and say, hi, Keith. And we dialogue. Like I said, I would send you some. Um, but he never really was here. He just uses her vessel for days at a time, mm-hmm. as long as he wants to vacate. And she she just travels wherever she decides to go and hang out with other galactic beings on, in their houses or whatever it is. It's like to be an extraterrestrial in whatever mm-hmm. planetary system. I wonder where her consciousness goes when someone like, you know, Nucleus 8 takes over. Did you ever talk about that? Yeah, that's sort of what I mentioned. I think she just simply goes hang out with people that she met, so to speak, like we would have friends that we met at a bar and mm-hmm. gone out of town. Remember we met back when and I'm coming to your town, come stay on my couch. <laughs> that's the best way I can describe it. But then again, I'm sure she has things that she can do as far as in, in the sense of learning. Mm-hmm. I'm sh- but I never really, really got to know Margie as mm-hmm. a person. When I was hanging around mm-hmm. Dr. Rex here and Margie, um, back then, in those days, Nucleus was a little more free. He was freer. Even though his work doesn't stop, he has awareness in six dimensions. He can monitor six dimensions simultaneously. So he has a finger in every pie all across the quadrant of this galaxy. Um, but I was really never in communication with Margie because when I was there, Dr. Rex here, Margie and Nucleus 8 knew I was there to be a student, to learn from Nucleus. And so Margie would say hi for a couple of 10, 15 minutes. And after that, it was always Nucleus in, in the body. Hmm. It's interesting that they got married because what, didn't she see him first as a patient? That's exactly correct. And that kind of turned out into a wedding. You know anything about that? <laughs> yeah, right. There are some strange stories, you know, Jeff. Uh-huh. Uh, one, one night I was talking with Margie it was Margie and Dr. X here. Um, and then a little while later, mm-hmm. Nucleus came in mm-hmm. and we were talking about them coming over to my house, which was my girlfriend's apartment at that time, mm-hmm. about just doing some poking around in my head, just to make sure yeah. everything's balanced from past lives and right. or everything could be. I said, sure. So one night, a few weeks later, they came over. And so Dr. Rex here, so let's go in the bedroom, lay on the table. He had a massage table, whatever, laid on the table. And he puts me under a light hypnosis. He did not monkey with my mind. So uh, please, anyone, don't go there. He did not monkey with my mind. He puts me under light hypnosis and asks me a few questions and takes me back to my childhood. Keith, anything happening that you want to bring up that we can maybe look at to see what might be going on and we can go through the process of clearing it. And I, I really didn't have any issues. I had some issues here or there about, you know, being getting my butt spanked because of a, a broken lamp or whatever kind of thing. Yeah. But I really had no emotional integrated trauma. And so Dr. Rex here says, Keith, I think everything's okay. I'm going to bring you out. Three, two, and all <laughs> All of a sudden, Nucleus comes in the body of Margie and says, hey, buddy, 
I said, nucleus. He said, yep. He says, you remember that journey I've been promising you? I said, sure. He said, you ready? <laughs> I said, sure. So he says, keep your eyes closed. And he says, all I want you to do, Keith, is let go. Don't do anything else. Just let go. So he grabs my hand, Jeff, and he begins to pull on my arm like I'm, like I'm tugging on my shirt. My consciousness begins to leave my body through my arm of his tug. Mm-hmm. That's when I had the experience of going into his craft. Sometime later, I get a phone call early in the morning, and it's Nucleus. Hey, Keith, what's going on? I said, no, what's happening? He goes, listen, Keith, everybody in our group, we had a meditation group from that metaphysical church, about seven or eight of us, and he's the alien, alien human hybrid, so he's going to be the teacher for the meditation group. And they called God breath. That's what they call God, breath. I loved it. And he says, everyone in the group has an implant but you. Do you want one? He says, I make them myself. They're smaller than you can see, and I have one left. I said, convince me that I want it. This is where I'm still not sure of what is happening in my life is happening in my life. You know, some part of me is like, this is just completely nuts. And some part of me is like, I know what I'm experiencing and seeing. So he says, everyone has one but you. I said, convince me I want it. He says, well, if you're sick, we can give you medicine. He says, if you're lost, we can find you. And if you're in trouble, we can help you. And he named a couple extra perks. I said, all right. What's the drawback? He says, your life is no longer private. He says, because I am the head of security, no one will have access to your file but me. And I will only go into that file knowing that you want my help for whatever reasons. He says, does this sound like a plan? I said, sure. He says, by the next time you and I speak, this will be implanted. I said, great. Next time, and he also included, by the next time we speak, be it face-to-face, over the phone. However, so that night, I go play music at the casino, seven grueling sets, an hour away. So I play these seven sets. I drive home an hour, and I'm just exhausted. No desire to dream, especially about alien. I just had. No, I just want to go to sleep. So about six thirty in the morning, I come to a state of full bone consciousness because of this excruciating pain in my right kidney region. What the heck is that? So I'm looking over my spiritual metaphysical shoulder in this dream experience to find what I would call the equivalent of an 80-year-old woman on our terms. So she had to be 7,000, God knows what years old. And she's carrying me to Nucleosate, which is sitting on what we would call a lawn chair type of piece of furniture. And so as I'm looking at her to see where the source of this pain is coming from, she looks at me and goes, You went into this experience on some level thinking that it was going to be painful. And guess what? You made yourself right. So as she walks me all the way to Nucleus, who's sitting on this lawn chair type furniture, the pain was so intense, I began to vomit all over his feet. The phone in my actual bedroom rings. Guess who it is? It's Nucleus 8. I said, bro, I just had a dream about you. He said, no, you didn't. I said, dude, don't tell me. I just woke up in a dream. He says, Keith, you were not dreaming. I said, are you sure about that? He says, you should come clean the vomit off of my feet. Wow. Yeah. So he's a real deal. Wow, it's amazing. And at that point, did he tell you that I, by the way, I put an implant in your kidney? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, After I started talking with him many years later, when I was on Inception Radio Network, First thing he said to me, in fact, I'll send you this, that very dialogue. The first thing he said to me is, he says, Keith, it's been a while. Would you like me to tweak your impl- implant, update it? I said, sure. 
knowing nuclear saying, I knew it was going to happen that night. Mm-hmm. I find myself aboard a craft. So as I'm entering the craft, there's these children everywhere, Jeff. Did you say everywhere? Children. And I've learned, at least from the high level of extraterrestrial uh, perspective, or at least what they are about is the children. It's always the children. The children are the fuel, if you will, that fuels the whole system. It's the children. It's the excitement, the wonderment, the curiosity, the awe, the innocence of the children. This is what truly drives many of these civilizations. So when I get aboard this ship, there are children everywhere. And I think to ask, how many people here have seen me? And all, all the children's hands went up, except the table over here of about eight or ten of them. They said, Mr. Keith, we've never seen you before. So I black out after I black, I'm laying on the ground on my back. And looking over me, I see all these kids looking at me. And then Nucleus puts his head in. And so I black out again. And I'm walking down this hallway being ushered by a woman by the name of Denise. And she's holding my elbow. And as we're walking down, what? Ow, man, what are you doing? I said, you're putting that implant in March. Because yes, that's right, Mr. Blanchard, I sure am. Mm-hmm. And so um, I've had so many lucid experiences with uh, Nucleus 8, and I'm looking forward to the time he contacts me again, hopefully in the near future. But with all this nonsense, not, not only happening on Earth, because you can bet that what's happening on Earth, all this stuff that we are seeing take place, it's happening all, everywhere. So I'm sure he's hyper busy. Can you actually feel the implant in your elbow or have you ever had an x-ray or anything that you can confirm it's there? I have not had an x-ray. I cannot feel it. He did say it was smaller than the eye can see. Um, So I don't think there would be any evidence of it as far as me feeling it. Now, if I did go get examined, maybe or maybe it won't show up. I don't know to what on what level these things are constructed. Is it on a, uh, an energetic level, an implant that's truly holding a vibration that's something even our hmm. technological instruments can actually pick up? I, that I simply don't know. Interesting. I know the experience was real. What do you know about the Galactic Federation? My learning about the Galactic Federation usually comes from media. People I see post on Facebook and uh, YouTube videos. I, I really have not had any experience with the Galactic Federation. I just know that I've had experiences all of my life uh, being with these higher-ups, these extraterrestrial beings. Mm -hmm. And so one thing I would like to share is one thing that I've learned in my time with these, I call them others, because it includes everybody, Mm -hmm. these others, especially those who have ships, that the lower they are in consciousness, the more that their craft are made of hardware. Mm-hmm. irons from all over the all over the, the galaxy but the higher they are in consciousness the less hardware they actually need and sometimes the hardware is for our point of view and our benefit but i do know that at least some of the craft that i've been in as big as they are on the excuse me as small as some of these craft can appear in our skies on the inside they're very very much larger so there is a paradox here, something that opens up inside of some of these vessels that makes these ships on the inside a lot larger than what they are on the outside. Mm -hmm. And they have some of this, pretty much all the same amenities. You know, they eat food, depending on the higher you go, then they don't eat food or less food or food that's of a lighter nature, but they have places to sit. They have entertainment values. They do all these things. In fact, Nucleus told me, Keith, when you play music, sometimes the children want to watch you. He says, you turn on just like a dimmer switch, just like that. 
and they watch you playing and they have fun. And, but they have a lot of the same amenities we have. They live normal lives, but they just look different. And what I have noticed, Jeff, when I am having these experiences, I don't get lost in the, you know, I'm trying to see what these creatures, creatures, exactly. These beings look like so I can remember, oh, my God, and draw it for everybody, the, the almond-shaped eyes. That's just not my way. When I get there and, I, and I'm in the experience, I just let go and it happens. And then I elevate into the experience even higher. And then I lose any want or desire to figure and find out what they look like. Because what I have noticed and have experienced and will always do now because I've learned is when I get into these places and I let go beyond the corporeal, the body self of what I think is happening with these others, I move up higher in conscious into a stream. And in that stream is dialogue. And you can hear anyone speak. And the one that you want to hear speak, you just lean into it. And then, you know, you're being talked to. The same. So in this way, when I get aboard these, I don't want to call them craft, when I, when I hang out with these others, I've learned that, okay, I'm aware. And I see the beings. And then I allow myself to go to another place that, um, that seems to be a lot more truer than the experience that I started having when I first came aboard the said craft. So I like moving, using this craft or this vessel as a catalyst to take me to another level, which I'm very successful in doing quite often. I think some people may say that most or all alien travel would have to be interdimensionally because of the distance. But then you In the story. It would have to be. But now you're seeing, and maybe they get here interdimensionally and then they're here moving around because you do see some videos that look like alien craft. I mean, even the ones that the Navy just put up, you know? Yeah, I think to get here, it is interdimensional. But when they get here, they move about linearly. You know, who knows? They might like the way California looks. <laughs> no, but you know, we, we, many of us, we've seen craft move about in the sky. So they're physically moving from point A to point B. But I truly believe that they're using the wisdom of the universe, the cosmic doorways to punch themselves into whatever time locale that they simply just choose to. All right. So we've mentioned two of your books at the beginning of the podcast, The Divine Principle, Anchoring Heaven on Earth, and For the Love of God, A Spiritual Journey. Are any of these stories that we talked about in either one of those books? And if not, what are you talking about? The Divine Principle, I touched very briefly on my time with Nucleus 8. It's just very, very brief. In fact, it's probably a paragraph. The Divine Principle happened. It literally happened. I didn't sit down to write a book. The book sat me down and said, write me. <clears throat> Back in 19, gosh, you knows many years ago, I went through a 10-year relationship breakup. It was not fun. Two years of a dark night of the soul. Um, early, early in my life, I wanted to become a Catholic priest. I, I was serious about it. I went to a seminary school, and then my dad gives me an electric guitar, and God went to the closet, and the guitar stayed out. <clears throat> and so when I started dating this girl because of wanting to play music, she wanted a guitar play, whatever, that all happened. And being an inspiring musician, she was my transportation, my shelter, my food, my intimacy, all these things. And when she said, all of it went away. I had nothing literally nothing. And I plunged into a dark night of the soul. And after some time it passed, it was, it was painful. Oh my God, it was so painful. Somehow I've opened up a cosmic door by asking. I need to hear your voice. I had so much passion. For me, passion is like fixing a car engine. I'm going to fix this car. 
right? I had so much sincerity. I mean it. I'm serious about this. I need this car. <laughs> Humility, which is me humbling myself, and then vulnerability. I made myself vulnerable. And I believe these four components of a whole piece is what opened up that door. Again, one night many years ago, I was playing music at the casino. And I said this prayer fervently for about three weeks to a month. I get home, I go to bed, and I'm awakened out of my sleep by a voice that says, good morning, Keith. I look around, there's nobody there thinking it's a friend of mine who let himself in because uh, maybe was going to run errands and I didn't hear the door. And there was nobody there. So I simply dismissed it as a dream voice and decided to lay back down in bed. And when I laid back down in bed with the intention of going back to sleep, the voice said, Keith, I asked you to awake. And what I knew the voice was saying was to awake, not only out of my night slumber, it's time to wake up. Um, I was thrown into the light. I was thrown into an absolute experience. This voice, when it spoke, it spoke in wholeness. It wasn't linear thought. It spoke in whole thought. And everything in this one impression was everything it, quote, wanted which is, Keith, go sit on the sofa, press record in the tape player and let your mouth move. What will I talk about? It says, trust me, the thoughts will come. Grab my tape recorder, sat on the sofa, press go. <clears throat> and a door just simply vocally opened up in me. So I dictated, uh, logged all this information for a good year, maybe a year and a half. Then after this, I would be in meditation. For six to nine hours a day, I would sit at my computer, boot it up. I would sit there from noon till six or nine at night, would never leave except to use the bathroom, run errands, and get some food. Hmm. And I began to dialogue with this energy that was truly loving, supporting, and playing with me. Truly playing with me as in playing jokes on me to put me in conundrums that I had to figure out. So after about a year and a half of this, in a meditation, the voice says, no more writing, Keith. You're going to write some more, but no more vesseling, pulling in information. Go live these principles. The last thing I want you to do is be a parrot and recite rhetoric and information without you living these truths so they could become concrete and solid. So sit short. Um, I was told very at the very beginning this was going to be a bestseller, and it is. But this book is set up in the same way as Neil Donald Walsh, Conversations with God. I did not steal this idea from Neil Donald Walsh. I was writing in this book for about – um, half a year, two quarters of a year before Neil's book ever came out. There's quite a few parallels, <clears throat> which validates Neil. I, I believe, I, I love his work, completely love his work. So The Divine Principle is a book that I took upon myself as a spokesperson to ask very important questions. Why do little children get sick and die? That's a very important question. I think that we want to know the answer to that. It brings a lot of comfort to the world. And a lot of uh, the information that would come through in the divine principle was some about politics, what to expect prophetic-wise in the future, which is happening right now. Um, a lot of it was uh, spiritual information, how to become the embodiment of the divine principle and anchor that on earth. Um, so this is what this type of book is, uh, the divine principle. For the love of God, a spiritual journey, I used that very same tape recorder when I went to India, and I logged my entire journey for two weeks. What I think the magic is about for the love of God is not just a book that you read. I wrote it in present tense so that when I had something happen to me in present tense and how I expressed myself, you can actually feel as if you were there yourself versus me 
you know, telling a story, you know, 12 years ago, this happened when I was on the ashram on a Thursday at about 10 o'clock in the morning. So I said, oh, my God, this has just happened. So you can actually feel this experience unfold as if you were there. So um, for the love of God, it's about my journey to India. And now, by suggestion of Gavin Lee Davies that we talked about, he said, Keith, why don't you combine both books? And so that became Homecoming, Crossing the Bridge to the Soul, which is my brand new, brand new bestseller, which you can find on Amazon.com right now. Homecoming, Crossing the Bridge to the Soul, Keith Anthony Blanchard. So it's compressed. So what happens now, you can read this book and read that book. But when you read this book, you become a part of the unfoldment of my journey. It's not just reading a book and reading another book. You actually see the unfoldment because four years into working on the divine principle is when Satya Sai Baba called me to India. So I inserted a little bit of that in the divine principle about my trip to India. But this book is the unfoldment of 1996 to many, many years later, 2010. Uh, excuse me, 2010 was the release of um, For the Love of God all the way to 2020, uh, this past August. So this is 30 years of my work compressed. Wow. Do you have any other projects that you're working on that you want us to know about? <laughs> any other books or anything? I have a children's book series called Eden Sky Wonders Why. It's a model after my now 15-year-old son, but then he was six. Eden Sky is his name. Um, I, I always do presentations online. You can find me on Facebook, Keith Anthony Blanchard. Uh, you can find me on YouTube at youtube.com slash center of light radio. I'm always teaching. Someone will say, Keith, can you do a, a presentation about anxiety? And I sit in this chair and I go inside and I get Keith out the way. And I let these teachings come through. It's truly my love. Music has been my love for many, many years. I never thought the day would come, Jeff, when I would say, I don't want to play music anymore. So hmm. I don't think I want to play music anymore. I've done it. I've played with celebrity bands. I've done it all. Loved every moment. Grateful. If someone called me and says, Keith, you want to come play bass tonight to do a sitting gig? I'll be the first one there. Hmm. Calling to get the gig, setting up the equipment. I did all that. I was a sound guy. I was a bass player. I was a singer. I worked the lights with my feet. I worked the soundboard with an iPad. I've done it all. And I loved every bit of it. That door's shut. I did a gig a few weeks ago, sitting there in a room, playing acoustic guitar, singing Eagles and Beatles and all that stuff. And I was like, it's done. <laughs> it's time to move on. But I, I love creating. It's time to move on. I love creating. I love being with people. I love people. I'm either going to kiss your neck or hug you around your neck. And I'm the kind of guy, you know, if I don't know you and you come out and saw my band on break, and I, I know you knew because I've never seen you before and I've been doing this forever. I'll come say thank you. I'll come sit at your chair at your table and I'll pull a chair out and stick my hand in your French fry basket and start eating some French fries and have a conversation with you. Mm -hmm. And we can get along. Mm -hmm. And this is just my way. But I like, I'm about to record an album. I'm interested in music in this regard. But getting out in the the world and shuffling about it's not what it used to be jeff it's just not what it used to be mm -hmm. people are getting hard people are getting edgy and just don't want to do it anymore but i'm always creating right well i mean would you say people are getting this way because of covid or this was happening even before covid anyways before 
it's just the system. I think, I think, I think COVID's a blessing, honestly. I think it's a blessing that brought us all to a point of realizing there is an aspect of the collective consciousness. Not only does it have to, it will die. Mm-hmm. And it's brought us to the brink, to the gate to say, what choice are you going to make? Simply, what choice are you going to make? I've made a choice that I'm, I'm in it to win it. I'm, I'm going to step into the fire, the fire that we're all scared to step into. But it's the only way that we can ever become higher and acquire anything that means anything at all is to want something. And a part of us has to die. No one wants to die. So if we're going to die inevitably, why not die now so that something beautiful can be born inside of us so that we can live that heaven, not when we get to a heavenly state, but live it now, make room for the new. And so um, I think to go back to the music question you asked me, I think it was wrapping itself up right before COVID. And now that the doors are opening again, ish, people are gung-ho to get back into the bars. I'm not because they're fighting. You know, everybody's trying to, I don't mean physically fighting with each other. They're fighting to get into the bars. And that's just definitely a rat race that I just don't want to be a part of. <clears throat> Were you ever shown any future predictions that you can share with us of our world? Make a long story short, it's what you see happen, what we see happening in the world right now. This either came through between 1996 and 1997 and a half. Could have been a little longer. Some things were still coming through here and there. World leaders and governments, the true agenda of many governments and governmental figures worldwide will be brought to light. The United States government, the United States, the greatest country of all with the greatest form of government will suffer (laughs) a major breakdown. Its present, present legislature's branch will collapse and it will take years to rebuild it. Because of this restoration process, many old guard politicians will be forced out. Your new lawmakers will not per se make law, but rather will introduce you to divine law and teach you how to fall and to flow with it. The establishment of divine order is commencing as I speak. Some of them, others have come true and surpassed the vision I had itself, and some of them actually did not come true. So what does that mean? When I don't claim to be a prophet. That, that's I'm, I'm Keith. I sit in this chair and I do what I love. But some of them that didn't come true, and people will say, well, what happened when this didn't come true? timelines change. Someone can tell you that this is going to happen and you want to not make it happen just because you don't like the idea. So we, you know, we change, you know, when prophets from the past, when these visions don't happen, you know, if a prophet makes a prophecy and it's joyful, fantastic. We like the prophet being right, but do we want the prophet to be right about those things that we don't want to come to pass? So we should be grateful. And that said thing that was supposed to happen didn't because we made conscious choices that changed the direction or the trajectory of where we were going. This is happening now. We are waking up. And so a lot of these prophecies will simply just be bypassed. And now other people, depending on your level of vibration, you will experience whatever you choose to experience because that's the key. The door is open. The door is open as wide as it's ever been. And energies from cosmic levels Divine levels are moving in. God is beginning to wind its way through every soul on the planet, making now the perfect time to be alive. You know, we have the most profound advantage that has ever been on earth as human souls. All souls in the universe can aspire to divine birth, excuse me, human birth, because it's only through the human being that God can be fully realized 
Jesus, Buddha, Krishna, Sai Baba, Swamiji, so forth and so on. But there are souls waiting in queue. They've been waiting in queue for eons to take on human birth. Human birth is the pinnacle of all creation. And to be alive right here, right now, watching all this unfold. Other beings galactically are simply jealous. And I use that lightly. They're jealous. You are the rock star. And everyone wants a piece of this action. So now is the time, I think, that we should take action and really move through this window of opportunity to become an anchor for the prophecy <laughs> of heaven on earth. And I think it's happening. Many people, you know, you're playing your role. You're, you're a phenomenal podcast host and, you, and you're doing other things. Other people are making that happen through simply raising a family. So we're all doing this. But no matter what it is you're doing, make sure you're doing something that you love ongoingly. Very, very important. Well, Keith, I live a practical, well, that's okay. But make sure that you're doing something ongoing that you love because you need that vibration of said love to keep you elevated and out of the game of nonsense that's simply unfolding all around us. So it's important that you engage yourself fully, jump off the cliff, be willing to die from your old life into something that is infinitely possible. Hmm. Wow, that's interesting. All right, well, I'm confined by time with this podcast, <laughs> by time and space. I'm in, the, I'm in the material world. But before we go, can you give our listeners one last message? Take this no time, if you will, to move inside. Simply realize there's nothing else. It requires you not only to be still, but to fall into nothing. And you will only fall into that nothing, which is everything. And that is something that surrounds you. But to fall into that nothing, you have to learn to stop the monkey from talking to you. You can never make the monkey shut up. You can't. And the more you try, the more it will continue to yell even louder. It will yarma on and 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 on. So what do you do? You just sit there and be with yourself. Love yourself. Touch yourself. Hold yourself in a different place than you ever have before. Simply, you will find a different you. Be reborn with inside of yourself. Now you have something to offer others as they move around. You move around with them in your life. There's nothing you really want. What you really want looks just like you when you look in the mirror. And until you can accept that fully, you can never fully accept anything else to the greatest possible level, which is truly, truly your divine birthright. What else do you want? The humans always want. We want, 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 want. We move around way too much, way too fast, wanting things. Want something different. Want something that looks like nothing except you when you look in the mirror. It can't be any clearer than that. There is no other message. There is no other way. There is only one path. There are many paths to the path, but there is only one illumined path. Find your way. Walk the path. And you will have simply nothing else to worry about. Hmm. Thank you for that hmm. message. And Keith, yeah, thank, thank you for having me. Yes. Thank you for being my guest. I really appreciate you giving me some of your time. I wish you massive success on all your books and I wish you the best. I'm having it right now. Just spending time with you, bro. Thank you. <laughs> all right, brother. Blessings to you and yours. So thank you for having me. Thank really. you and blessing to you and have a great evening. Peace. Bye-bye.